Go ahead and grab a seat. My name is Caleb Sutherland. I am a backup quarterback that Russell calls in every now. All my backup quarterback jokes are in Dallas, which we need. Um, but um, so they don't transfer into Houston. But um, good friend of Russell's. We've been hanging out for quite a while. Uh, as I planted a church in Dallas, and we talked about near town and and what it would look like, even when it was just him and Jeannie, what it would um, become and what it would kind of develop into. It was awesome praying with him for that. And so one of the things I want to encourage him and you guys during this time. Um, so in my, I, I planted a church a little over six years ago in Dallas. And in my first two years, I preached 99 out of the 104 times, um, which if you're looking, what is that called? It's called sin first and foremost, and it's stupid. Both of them, they combine together. And one of the big reasons is because it didn't allow me time to develop vision and develop leaders and build into future and make sure that it's not just um, what we call the firework where it's going to go up and be real pretty for a few minutes, seconds, but longevity, sustainability, that we're going to be here for the long haul. And so one of the neat things is I know Russell makes sure to build that time in because you guys are worth it. The sustainability is just worth it. Um, I was told that you plant a church not for your generation or your kids, but for your grandkids. Um, Fascinating enough, I was saved in a church that my grandmother planted. And so one of the things that we see during these times when he's um, not up here preaching is he's investing deeply into the future of this church. And so I just want to encourage him and encourage you guys that you have a pastor that believes in the long haul, that believes in the transformation of Houston and what that's going to take and what that needs. Um, So just want to encourage that. Love him. Love talking to him. Most of what we talk about is like one little short joke and like five minutes of laughter and then a joke and a laughter. So, but every now and then it's serious and those are fun as well. So jump with me to John 13, 33 through 35. Uh, Y'all are in a series about love and what it looks like for love to begin to step in and transform and really take root in and through the city and the church and in your lives and in your story and how God pursues you. Um, And so what we're going to talk about today is what that love looks like in and with and through the church. When I told you that I planted a church about six and a half years ago and one of our things that we try to do, so I read a book. Um, And here's one of the dangers about being young and stupid is that you read a book and then make every change because the book tells you to. And so I read a book called Why Men Don't Go to Church. So it says, well, men don't go to church because they don't like holding hands. So we made a rule at our church. We never hold hands, ever. If you ever see anybody holding hands, break it up because we're not going to do that and make sure that's an end. The second thing is we had a rule and my worship team hated me, but it was a solid rule in my book was we don't sing songs that a words you would never say to your wife or to a girlfriend or anything. So if you would never say, girl, you're more precious than silver. We don't sing it. It's out. Like we just don't. So my worship team's looking through. He's like, would you say that? And they're going to have to go ask people, would you, would you say this to a girl? I wouldn't. Well, he would, but he's really poetic. So we don't count him. And I mean, we were like searching for the... Here was the beauty of it. So we built a church that was geared around in trying to reach men because what we saw is that and what our studies and our research showed was the most unreached person in America was a 25-year-old single male. So we went after 25-year-old single males. We also realized that most churches were geared towards 40-year-old married women. 
So when we went after 25-year-old single males, it was awesome. We did it. We accomplished it. At one time, the church was like 120, and 80% of the people were 25-year-old single males, which means you will never grow again is what that means. Because dudes will not go to a church like that. They walk in and go, oh, ratio's down, and they're out. (laughs) Girls come in and go, this isn't safe. I'm out. I mean, you have... Both of these things that it would not accomplish. So we built an unsustainable, ungrowing, it just wasn't healthy. And then not too long ago, a few weeks back, a friend of mine sent, he, hey, I'm writing a book, would you read it? Those are the worst, but I did it because he's like, I wrote it in, it's in PDF format and I'm trying to get it published. And in it had these research. And one of the research that he had was the four reasons why people don't go to church. And here are the four reasons why people say they don't go to church. The first one, I feel judged. They feel judged. The second one, I don't want to be lectured. Third one is Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And the fourth one is your God is irrelevant to my life. Now, his book went on and basically said, we need to change these. We need to... We need to kind of make this. So then every chapter of the book was to correct those four reasons why people don't go to church. And my rebuttal back to him was your whole, this isn't, he was a close friend. Okay. Was your whole idea, your whole premise, your book, the last six months, I'm adding what was probably embedded in there. The last six months of your life were all for naught because that's not a healthy approach. That's like painting a rotten house. Because deep within, there's actually more issues. You don't just go, okay, we're not going to be judgmental anymore. So when that person comes in, don't say anything. Don't look at them weird. Don't do that anymore. Because deep down, there's still an issue. We're not going to lecture at them. So we go, okay, we're not, we're going to change it to where we have five minute sermons because I don't want people to be lectured at. And what we do is just try to change the structure. We don't change the heart, the core, the value, the meat, everything that's in there. A good friend of mine um, was in a hospital because his little bitty boy um, had spinal medical terms, something bad. And so he was in the hospital for weeks. And as he was sitting in the hospital, just nurses and doctors would come and they would just hang out in his room. And this was weeks on end that more and more nurses and doctors and hospital workers were coming into the room. And finally he asked, he goes, why do you guys keep coming in here? And most doctors and nurses would just kind of skip out and leave and not really answer him. Finally, he grabbed one of the doctors and said, why does everybody keep coming into this room? Y'all have been doing it. I don't care. I just want to know. And he goes, this is the most peaceful, loving place in the entire hospital. And we just want people come down here because it is the safest place to be. Your boy is like minutes away from death at any moment. And this is the safest, most loving place to be. And here, that word, that idea, that everything spread. You know what didn't spread? Hey, there's a pastor in room 113 if you want to go down there and hang out with him. But what did spread was this absolute, contagious, loving, affectionate, peaceful place that began just to take off in that room. And so... My heart, and I know Russell's heart, is to create near town where it is this place that is so contagiously loving that people are drawn to it. 
a, a place where people just want to come in. It's the safest, most comfortable place ever. And so to get there, we're going to have to look and see and study how Jesus loved us and pursued us and went after us. Here's the danger. So I go all around, mostly the U.S., and train people how to reach the lost, engage the lost, make disciples, and kind of see churches planted. And one of the fascinating things is I began to go in and I began to train churches. So I'd go in and train a church with these principles and these ideas of how to engage the lost and simple kind of techniques and tactics and whatever. And one of the things that I realized early on with some churches, I would go in there like, yeah, yeah, we want to know, we want to know. And so we'd go in and we would train them. We'd give them the tools. They would go in and begin to reach the lost. And I would call them and follow up, do coaching calls months later. And they'd be like, yeah, can you come back? Can you do another training? Can you do another coaching? So I'd go back in, teach the exact same things. They'd go right back out. Two months later, hey, can you come back? And I went, no. I'm, I'm done coming back. I'm done. You're not doing it. And then I had to take a look at myself and go, why? And here's the bottom line is that I was teaching them tactics, but I realized at the heart of it, they didn't love lost people. They didn't love lost people. So it didn't matter what all I got them doing. They didn't love lost people. It's like, this is what that'd be like. Hey, go find a girl that you're not in love with and take her on a ton of dates. Just keep going. It's going to happen eventually. I promise you'll fall in love with her. Just keep taking her out. If it doesn't work, nicer places, more expensive places, get nicer cars, rent cars if you have to. Whatever you have to do, just keep doing it. Sooner or later, you'll fall in love with her. You're going, it's not what it's about. And this whole concept is we have to get into the heart of it. So So the thing I want to stay away from is giving you things to do that would be responses to you loving someone. What, what I want to stray from and what I began to work towards, okay, if they'll just listen to people, if they'll just do this, if they'll just care about each other, if they'll just pray for one another. And I thought, those are all responses. Those are all expressions of something. So we may even run from here and do all those for a few weeks, a few months, but at the heart of it, nothing has changed. And so I want to dig into this Idea in John 13, 33 through 35. Read it with me. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's start in verse 33. For one, that whole concept, little children. He, this, this term of endearment, he's in the upper room. He's headed to, Jesus is in his last few hours before he heads into the crucifixion. That whole week And so he begins to bring the people in. He begins to bring his disciples in and begins just to kind of talk to them. This intimate talk. And he's casting this vision of what this new community he's going to develop looks like. He's casting this vision of how the church will begin to be shaped and how the church will begin to look. And so he's sharing something completely radical to them, actually. And that's what... Usually we read this and go, oh, that's old news, kind of keep moving. But he begins to share something with them that at the core would be, this is different. And we know that because he says, a new commandment I'll give you. 
So little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just I said to the Jews, so now so say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's setting this up, that there's going to be this season, this time, where I'm going to go away, you can't come with me. But it's okay, because I got something for you. What you have with me, what we have with us 11, I have something for you. He says in 34, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment I give to you. When I read that, I went, wait, wait. throughout the entire Bible, it says to love, to love, to love one another. It, it says that. But if you go back and look in the Old Testament, it actually says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, so the Old Testament is love your neighbor as you love yourself and to love God fully. So it's those two ideas. Here he begins to switch it and throw this different kind of love in there. He says, actually, now you're to love one another. This is different than your neighbor. This is a whole different concept than how you love your neighbor. This is love one another. And not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. It's a switch. It's a, it's a flip over to a totally different mindset on how we're supposed to interact. And so now the things that shapes us more than anything is how Jesus loved us, not how you love yourself. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of us in here that don't love ourselves very much. On Thursday morning, I buried one of my good friends who committed suicide. There's a lot of people that don't love themselves very much. There's a lot of people that don't love the community, love who they're on. They don't feel that very much at all. And so this shift from loving your neighbor as yourself to loving one another as I have loved you is a massive shift. And it takes more than just a few changes in how we should interact in our small groups. And it takes more than just a few changes of how we talk on a Sunday morning. And if we have more greeters outside and if we have a better welcome, it, cha- it takes more than that. It takes us understanding the depth of the gospel. It takes us understanding the depth of how Jesus ran and pursued and loved and lived and suffered and died and resurrected and told us and promised us he's coming back. It takes that. And so I just want to sit here for a little bit in a world that you've heard over and over and over again. And this church is over three years old. So I know hopefully you've at least heard the gospel 150 times, but we have to hear it again because we forget it again and because it's a lot of times mental and it's not heart and soul transformation for us. And so as we begin to think, how has God loved us? We begin to see for me, these six parts of the gospel that I think do everything for me and breaking it down for me makes it so much more tangible. And the first one is that he pursued Me, he pursued you, he ran after you. He stepped down from his lofty world, his heavenly world, his perfect world, and decided to run after me. Scripture says, why I was still a sinner, he ran after me. In Luke, it says he 
seeked and saved that which is lost. He went after me. He didn't wait for me to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for me to fix myself. He didn't wait for me to try to look a little bit better. He ran after me in the middle of the mess. He pursued me. He ran after me. The second thing that he did was he lived. Now, what I love about this concept is he, he kind of entered into my world and then he laughed. I love the idea that Jesus laughed and hung out and had friends. And so he knew what it was like when you have dumb friends. And he knew what it was like when people are just, I mean, I, I want to be in the room when Peter said something and Jesus went, really? Like, that's it. That's all I want. I think that's the wisest thing Jesus would ever say. Really? Like, just go with it. I love that he lived and he went through our world and he knew what financial crisis was and he knew what it was to have just relationships that were difficult and he knew what it was like just to be uncomfortable and he knew what that was like. Him living was one of the most powerful parts of the gospel. Him living allows me to connect with him and be in this world that's so much better. One of the things that you'll, um, that I realized pretty early on is that too often as a pastor, it's, it's hard to be in small groups and communities. I'll just be honest because, you know, when you're going around the circle and somebody works for, I'm, you know, they work for like FedEx and they're going, I hate my boss. He, and the customers, they're rude. It's like, I just, I, I can't stand it. Hey, Russell, what's going on in your world? I hate the people I work with. I, I mean, my boss is a jerk. I want to raise. They won't do it. I, want, I mean, I've been ple- It's really hard to live and be and exist in that. And so the peer-to-peer, pastor-to-pastor, living with each other in our world relationships is essential. And one of the beauties of Jesus living is that he created that world that Nothing that we do, we can't go, well, Jesus, you didn't experience this, okay? The third thing is that he suffered. He, he hurt, he struggled, he had pain. So that we can't go, well, you haven't had this, Jesus. He went through all of the sufferings, minor, major, every part of it. He suffered, he hurt, he cried, he wept to everything. And I'm not just talking about move over into the suffering of the beating and the cross and all that. I'm talking about when a friend betrays you. I'm talking about when somebody just walks away from your life after investing in them for three years. I'm talking about when your family doesn't know who you are and you just have to leave them. I'm talking much more in depth suffering that we go through, he went through. So he pursued me, he lived for me, he suffered for me, and he ultimately died for me. He gave up who he was. He gave up everything, and he died. He said um, in 2 Corinthians, the great exchange, your sin for my righteousness. I'm taking your sin. I'm giving you this ultimate great exchange that he did. And he said, it's worth, I'm dying for you. I'm giving up who I am for your soul. Next thing that he did was he resurrected for me. He gave me, he showed me second chance. He showed me that it's not over then. He showed me new life. He showed me that no matter how bad I am, 
it gets better. It showed me that there is a chance for everyone, that there is hope for everyone. It created in me that it's not over just when it gets the darkest. He showed me that no matter how bad it gets, he died on Friday, no matter how bad Saturday is, there's hope. And then the last thing is that he promises he's coming back. He instills hope in me that everything's going to change, that everything's going to be different, that everything's going to be better, that it's gun, the world is going to shift, it's going to change, it's going to rotate over to something so much better. And if we don't get that, we can't get this passage. And if we don't get that, we're not going to be able to love each other. So, so when we move back to this passage in John 13, 33, and then 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So for some of us in here, we're... I'll just be honest, today you're not even going to be able to move to the next part. For many of us in here, we've got to just stay there. And maybe that's where you need to dwell for a while, looking at those six things going, he's pursuing me, he's living, he lived for me, he suffered for me, he died for me. You're just going to have to sit in that for a while. Because to move on is going to become completely moralism. To move on over just to do the things of love is going to be completely moralistic because you're just going to do expressions of it without having the heart of it. But when the gospel begins to come in and transform and change and do everything, all of a sudden now the church starts doing these six things with each other too. Now the church is something people want to come part of. Now the church is something where doctors and nurses want to go into that room because they go, there's something contagious about this. There's something that just is evading all parts of this hospital where we want to come. It's the safest, best, just most comfortable, peaceful place I could ever be. And now I I don't need tactics to say, hey, we're not going to sing those songs because dudes won't sing them. We're not going to, I mean, holding hands is okay if that's the expression. I mean, we're actually okay with some of this because this culture is going to evade and become one of the most contagious places. So let's just go through these things and see practically how this should begin to transform near town. So the question is, how has Jesus loved us? He pursued us. So now you begin to pursue each other. You begin to run after each other, go after heart. Here's the difference. Not to get them back to church. Everybody can read through that. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Your attendance is just all the sheet. You know, it's been a few months. You know, I just write in the card because your tithe isn't there. And, you know, I just... They read through that. They know when that's what you're after. But when you actually just, hey, I just want to talk to you about how your soul's doing. This is true about your leaders. When you just go, hey, can I take you to coffee? And they're going to go, oh, what do you got to tell? They're leaving or they hate me or like I did something. And and they're going to go after. I missed a period in an email and they just want to tell me. Like whatever it is, it's like they want to go after. And you just go, I just want to shepherd your heart. I just, I just want to make sure you're okay. I just, I love you. I want 
you to know that you're cared about. As a guy who has a lot of dudes, last year I was in California for about a year and I had a lot of guys from Texas. I actually had three friends that flew out there, had lunch with me and flew back. And just said, you're going through a brutal year. Just want to make sure your heart's okay. Just want to make sure you're doing well. There's something incredibly contagious that you want to be a part of that. When you're pursuing hearts and going after people's souls and just wanting to know how they're doing. So maybe this week you need to shoot off some emails to some guys, set up some lunches or breakfast with some dudes or some girls or whatever that looks like for you to reach out and just go, hey, I know community groups on Tuesday, but maybe we could do lunch on Monday. I know crazy. I just thought of it. We could hang out outside of those two times and I could just talk with you and let you know I love you. The second thing, or part of that in that, not only pursuing, going after, also, this is a lot of it, is listening. Just listening to people. Just listening to what their heart and their soul and and what's going on in their life. Because a lot of times we're like, well, man, I haven't seen you at church. And they're going, man, I got a lot of other problems besides just trying to make it to church on Sunday. I got a lot of other issues. And and going to church is, yeah, I know. And you actually, every time you ask me, I just feel more guilty, but I can't change anything. So why don't we just go and sit for a while and just listen to my story. And you can pursue people so much by just listening. The second thing is he lived. Is the idea of presence, just being around people, inviting people into your story, into your life, into your home for dinners, or into um, any kind of events whatsoever. I'm working now with some guys that it's funny because I said, yeah, I I don't remember. It was like a one-off comment about how my brother was going somewhere for Thanksgiving. He goes, oh, you don't have a place for Thanksgiving? Come on over. It's 1130. And I'm like, I mean, I got other family. I mean, I'm like trying to answer. I'm going, I'm okay. I just told you this one. But his life is just like you're in, like you're family. So you're in. You don't have to worry about this because you're in. Now, there's a difference between creating an environment where you're like, well, people know they could come over. And just being one of those that you ask people to come over. It's creating that environment, that world where people know they're safe with you to live life with you, to be a part of that. The third one is um, how he suffered. And this is a harder one, but the church needs to hear your suffering stories. They need to hear how you're hurting. They need to hear what's going on. I had a guy who supported me financially for um, about eight years and then he died and I went and sat down with his wife and we we're talking and I said, what, you know, how long do you know about this? He had cancer and he goes, he's known about it for about 13 years. He just didn't want to tell anybody. He didn't want you to look differently at him or he didn't want you to question this. He also didn't want you to send his money back. Like, well, I wouldn't have done that, but yeah, I mean, come on, that wasn't going to happen, but I would have, like cared about him and loved him. And in this, I needed to see and, and know that his heart was okay. I needed him to pastor me through his struggle. And some of us are like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be a burden to it. I need you to tell your story because I'm probably going through it and I don't feel safe either. 
And so this huge part of it is suffering well together. The next one is that he died. This means you give up stuff. You give up things for other people. You give up who you are. This is a huge difference. So I used to read Acts 2.42, which is how the church started out. And you read, they were all together. They had everything in common. They, you know. So you read that and you're like, this is the weirdest group of people ever. And they just kind of hang out and they share stuff. And what you realize is that they didn't agree on everything. They had unity. That's a huge difference. Unity and agreements are two totally different things. Unity is that our mission is the same. Unity is that we're together on this. That means I'm actually going to give up stuff so that you can succeed. And I'm going to give up my desires and my wants and what I need and all that stuff for you to move on. When's the last time, not that you just gave up something, but you gave up something that it hurt for somebody else. You gave up stuff so that another person could thrive. Not, you know, I'm not doing anything on Tuesday. I'll go hang out with that sacrifice. Like, I mean, it's not, it's, you really need, you give it up because they need to see that. They need to feel that, that you gave up something for other people. You died for something for the benefit of others. The next thing is that Jesus resurrected. Here's the Here's the thing in the church where you give people a second chance. You instill hope in people. You don't, this, this destroys the judgmental thing. Because you know that there is second chance, there's second life, there's, there's this other place that we can get people to, there's this other place that Jesus wants to redeem people for. So now it becomes the safest place in the world to come in and bring your stories and bring your junk because you know On Sunday, there's resurrection. You know that it's all going to transform. You know that Jesus is taking care of it. You know that. And so we instill in our church the safest place in the world for you to come with your junk because Jesus is going to redeem it. And so we create a culture in a world, in a city, in a community that's based on this idea, this knowledge, this heart. You can come in with every bit of baggage that you could possibly have. And there's hope on Sunday. There's resurrection of any type of life. And what happens is when you begin to tell those stories and you begin to share this stuff, you begin to infuse that into your DNA. People come in and it doesn't matter. We, we all, here's the problem. We all get lost in the story. We love the story about the guy who was completely down and out and he was, you know, an alcoholic and beating his wife and he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then one guy came and talked with him and all of a sudden he's a Christian now. He's the leader of the church and he's incredible. The guy that we struggle with is the guy that every Sunday comes in, praises, gives his life to Christ. The next week goes out, does whatever he wants, abuses whoever he wants, gets away with whatever he wants. And then he comes in that next Sunday, oh my gosh, I need to repent. <laughs> Happened again. And he just goes, and he's struggling with these things. And that's the guy that we struggle with more than just the one-time changer. We struggle with the guy who's battling it. And so we create this where we don't leave him there where you just can get away with it, but we create an environment to know you're always safe here. This is a place you can be a part of. And then the last one is the resurrection that he's coming again. 
This is where we instill hope in people. This is where no matter how bad it is, you can sit and dwell and be with people and just go, it's going to be better. This becomes the place where the gospel transforms us. No matter where they're at in their life, you know it's going to be better. And you just begin to instill that into this community where this, here's what I love about the idea of the gospel is that it understands all three days. I'm going to use all three days to say Friday when when he died, Saturday in the tomb, Sunday resurrected. And the clarity of everybody's existing in all three days at different points is that sometimes you're just letting, you're just giving it to Christ, letting him die for your sins. You're seeing him take care of that. Some days you're on Saturday where you have no hope. You're frustrated. You're lost. You're just, it doesn't even feel like Friday happened. And then there's days where Sunday comes and the resurrection and the beauty of it and the hope and everything seems so great. And usually most of us come to church on that day. We come to church on that day because it's a lot easier to come to church and sing the songs and have the smile because everybody else is going to be smiling and everybody else is going to do that. It's a lot easier to come on that day. It's hard to come on that Saturday. It's hard to come on that dark day. But what if the gospel begins to transform us and the rest of us in here know that Sunday's coming so we can help make that Saturday better? We can infuse the hope in them on that Saturday. And this begins to transform everything. We'll finish by this, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. One of the most missional evangelistic things you can possibly do is love each other within the church. We don't need tactics and strategies and awesome cards and all that kind of stuff. When this church becomes so contagious, the people just go, that's what I need. That's so different than anything in my life. Like it would be awesome if all the cards said that we had to pass out was just come. And we had so much trust, hope, everything. And when they stepped in this door, man, their world was going to be blown away. Because of how we related and talked and smiled and looked and sacrificed and cared for each other. It's one of the most missional things we could ever do. I'll finish with this story that, so I have a group of um, non-believers that we all meet together. There's about eight of us and we're just kind of reading through the Bible trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out if it's right or wrong or if they like it. And as we're sitting around talking about this, there's these two guys that will never talk. They never talk. And I'm okay with that. And as we're sitting there, finally one of them goes, hey, can we go to coffee later? And I said, sure. So we go to coffee and as we're talking, I just go, can I just be honest with you, Bruce? Why why do you come? You don't ever say anything. He goes, I don't believe your book, but there's something contagious about what's happening in this group. I I don't believe the book, but how you talk with people and relate with people and open up, I, I need that. So there's something deeply evangelistic about a group of people loving one another. Deeply evangelistic about that. So here's how we're going to respond. We're going to respond in several ways. For one, some of you honestly just need to keep telling the gospel to yourself. You need to look at those six points and you can't move on 
until you deeply get that. You need to go talk with Russell or a leader or something. Just go, help me. I'm struggling in these. I don't think that Jesus pursued me. I don't think that Jesus lived for me. I'm struggling with that. I don't tangibly feel it and I need it. Well, some of us in here need to begin to, you need to go up to somebody right now. You need to go, help me do this. Maybe this time is just going to be the church interacting with this passage and be going to go up to somebody and go, how's your soul? Let's sing together. How's your life? Let's lose. Maybe you need to set up some meals throughout the week. Maybe this time is just a response time to the gospel to see these people interacting and loving and chasing after each other. 